reading the first four verses here, familiar to all of us. And uh, if you want a, a title for this morning's message, continuing in this idea of faith, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and the just shall live by his faith. That faith has to be personal. It has to be in your life. But uh, how many of you uh, feel it right now? Uh, uh, my father-in-law, we were working on one of the old buses. And uh, in the manual, as we were working on the steering gear, it said you should be able to turn the wheel <clears throat> with a barely perceptible drag. And uh, that's, that little phrase has been a joke between us for all of these years. Uh, this was before we were married. How many of you feel that perceptible drag right now? I mean, with the cold weather and snowing and all of the things going on, uh, it just feels a little slow. Am I the only one that feels that? Or uh, I, see, I see some other hands going, uh, heads going up and down. I'll tell you what, one of the cures for that is singing the hymns that we sang this morning. Amen. Uh, that that will help you get your eyes off the uh, things of this world. But faith, day in and day out. This isn't the short haul. This isn't a hundred-yard dash. You know, the thing I like about a hundred-yard dash, it's done. Anybody ever try to run cross country? Five and six, seven, eight miles. Now that marathon thing, uh, you know, I, I, you have to study this. You can exercise too much. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll let that up to your conscience. Uh, I'm not going to do those marathon. I used to run about eight miles when I was in high school and I'd come home and just watch my knees swell up. And after doing that for uh, several months on end, I said, you know, maybe this just isn't the smartest thing in the world. And, uh, but uh, I like bicycling because it's a little easier on the joints. And yet, what we're trying to do here is, is run the race. And that's what Hebrews chapter 12, the famous passage, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, just by way of introduction, this passage tells us that we are compassed with a great cloud of witnesses. And I've heard many sermons about, about the grandstands in heaven as they're watching things here on earth. And uh, yes, uh, I, I believe that uh, there are witnesses, those that have gone on before. But I'll tell you what, all you have to do is walk down Steinway Street and you're compassed with a great cloud of witnesses, are you not? People watching what you do. People are paying attention in this world in which we live. Does anybody remember the old pergament stores? They used to be a lumber hardware store. Home Depot drove them out of business. Anybody remember those things? Uh, the fellow that ran those stores, I think, just had uh, developed to perfection the way to irritate and frustrate anybody that walked into the store. Uh, I mean, it was just, uh, if you were looking for it, if this was, my, this was my experience, if I was looking for it, they were out of it. If I wasn't looking for it or I just bought it somewhere else at a higher price, it was on sale. 
I mean, everything about that store, and I was having a, one of those really tough days, and I had to go to Pergamon. And I'm sitting there going, I just don't know if I can handle this anymore. And one of the salesmen's looking there and says, you need to calm down. you got a Bible track in your pocket there. And I'm going, yeah, probably right. You know what? I wasn't running my race with patience that day. I was too busy getting frustrated. How many of you have ever been there? How many of you have felt the pressures of this life? And you see, we know what the answer is, do we not? Faith. Isn't that the answer? Hello? Amen? How many of you believe that faith is the answer? And I am so glad. I wish, I, I don't want to take time this morning, but I just want to get this in. I want us to think about this. Our faith is not subjective. It's not just a feel-good pill. You know, you go to some churches and everything in the church is designed to make you feel good. And then when you leave, you have to live in the real world. And that doesn't always feel so good, does it? Since day one, we've tried to say what, what goes on here. We wanted to help you out there. We want the things that we preach about to be more real than what's going on in the world. Because I don't need to focus on what they focus on. Uh, in fact, I shouldn't be focused on what the world is focused on. I should be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the writer of this passage tells us that we're to run that race with patience, looking unto Jesus. He's the author of our faith. That means he wrote it. You know how the book of John puts it, the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the... Word. And we get down to chapter 12. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is the author of our faith. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. You hold in your hand the written Word. Jesus is the living Word. There is a connection there. You cannot divide the two. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we're so careful about what version of the Bible we use. Is because we want it to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want us to do is just go through this passage by looking at other passages in the Bible that talk about these things. You see... There's a lot of people out there, every once in a while, passing out tracts, and someone says, oh, no, I tried that. I don't need it anymore. Well, my first thought is, you didn't try what I got, because you can't untry it. Once you get it, it's eternal. You need to understand a little bit about your salvation, what Jesus Christ did to save you. If you're going to run that race with patience. If you're going to continue on to the end. You know, there's a verse in Matthew 24 when Jesus is talking, He that continueth to the end, the same shall be saved. And people like to take that verse out of context and say, Listen, see there, if you quit halfway through, you're not saved. You lose your salvation. Wrong. If you can quit halfway through, you never had it in the first place. You just had a pretend version. And let me tell you, the devil has a thousand different varieties of pretend salvation. Uh, there's as many out there as there are people to try it out. You don't try Jesus out. That's why it's called be, being born again. You see, there's only one way you can undo being born. 
The Bible's very against that. It's called suicide. Right? God is not into this give and take that we think we deserve the right to exercise. See, when you get saved, let's go to Let's go to Romans chapter 10 very quickly here and just look at what the Bible says about getting saved. I, I, I don't know that I talk to someone, they say, I want to talk about salvation. I, I'll, I will get you here one way or another uh, because this passage uh, gives us basically the exploded view, this, the diagram, the schematic, if you want, of, of what happens when a person get saved. It gives the greatest simple explanation of salvation. It starts out in verse 9 saying that if thou. That one little word right there destroys the entire foundation of what is called Reformed or Calvinistic theology. It says you have a choice. That if Thou. Now, one of the reasons I love my old King James Bible is because of the these and the thous, and it's not just because I like poetic language. It's because the these, the thous, the thy, the thines tell me that it's talking in a singular sense. If it's ye, you, your, yours, it's plural. You see, Jesus said, go ye therefore. That's plural. That's talking about the church. It's not talking about you by yourself. You have no authority to go by yourself. You're supposed to go through the church. Read the rest of the passage. Go ye therefore. Jesus was commissioning his apostles, the first church, to do the work. But here it says, that if thou. This is you by yourself. This is you just between you and God. And it says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Now that word confess is a word that gets bandied about a lot today. But before all of the lawyers and the courts and all of the things that we have today, the word confess meant to make a statement of truth. That's simply what it means. And really, that's what the officer is saying when he apprehends the criminal. He says, we want you to confess. We want you to make a statement of truth. And there's always someone there to write it down. And it will, and warn you that what you say and say is the truth, can and will be used against you in a court of law. That's legal. Do you know how many people are going to miss heaven because they don't understand this word? You see, how many people do you know that want to go to hell? I would dare say you don't know any. Oh, you might get some smart apple out there. Yeah, I'm going to go where the party is. Uh, Read your Bible. There ain't no party there. Somebody said, I want to be together with my friends. There are no friends in hell. And you won't be together with anybody. You want to be utterly alone in the most crowded place in the universe. That's what hell is about. You will be separated by darkness. You'll be separated in the walls of your own mind. But hell is not an imaginary place. It's real. It was created for the devil. But you see, just saying... I don't want to go to hell is not a confession. It's not a statement of truth. Because the statement of truth 
Read the rest of it. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. That's the confession of truth. That is the confession. Now, a lot of people will pray this this way. I confess with my mouth, I hope Jesus will save me someday. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of God is it? that would take you seriously when you say, I hope someday. What does that mean? It means either you believe that God is not very serious about this thing called salvation, or you're not very serious about this thing called salvation. You know, if we put a briefcase on the platform, and you know I'm joking here, with $100,000 in it. Real money. How many would say, well, preacher, someday I'll, I'll take advantage of that deal and come get that briefcase. Or how many would be stepping on somebody's head and pushing somebody out of the way so you could be first in line? Now... Don't raise your hand. We know that most of us would be saying, it's got to be a joke. There's no way preachers got that kind of money to give away. And if we did, what we do is we put it in the union. Amen? Uh, try to fix the place. But the simple truth of the matter is, if it was something you were serious about, would you put it off till tomorrow? Would you say, someday I hope so? You see, a statement of truth, a confession, is what really is. If you've ever witnessed an accident or a crime, the police will say, can you tell me what you saw? And uh, you say, well, that guy coming down this way, he looked like he was really speeding. Now, if it's a good police officer, he'll look at you and say, Now, did you have a radar gun? Uh, do you un- I, I understand that it looked like he was speeding, but can, can you just tell me what actually happened instead of giving me your opinion on what you think happened? And you see, a statement of truth is simply this. This is what is. You're walking down the aisle. And you take her hand and come up onto the platform. And the preacher says, we're ready for the exchange of the vows. These are promises made to these witnesses here and to God himself and to each other. And the bride says, wait a minute, I didn't say I was going to do that. I understand this thing and I'm willing to take part in this ceremony, but I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'll tell you, if I was the preacher, we get that taken care of before they walk down the aisle. Amen? Uh, Those are promises that are made, that are made to God, to each other. And they're supposed to last as long as you have life. If we could be that serious about money, we could be that serious about marriage. Can we be that serious about eternity? You see, one of the reasons people drop out of the race is they're just not that serious about eternity. They can't see it. They don't grab the concept of it. They don't understand. You see, when I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, that little definite article in there is probably one of the most ignored words in your King James Bible. It means one. You see, that's the problem the Romans had. They were more than willing to confess a Lord Jesus. In fact, when the Christians tried to explain that Jesus was the Creator and He's in charge of all the gods, they said, oh, that's, that's not a problem. If He's bigger than Zeus, we'll, we'll just move Zeus over and set him down a few steps and and that was the Greek name of the god Jupiter that the Romans worshipped. He was supposed to be the supreme god. 
If this Jesus is actually the supreme God, well, then we'll move Jupiter down. Then the Christian said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's the Lord Jesus. We've got to go in there and throw all the other statues and all the other gods out. Only Jesus can be in there. That's when they started killing Christians. You see... The sinner's prayer is not another bead on your rosary chain. It's not another statement. I've met people say, oh, preacher, I know, I pray that every day. Is that a prayer of faith? If one of my kids says, Dad, will you please fill in the blank. Take me to the park, fix my toy. As they get a little older, fill out my taxes. Uh, Whatever uh, might be in there. And uh, I say, yes, I'm going to do that. And then they they come back five minutes later. Dad, will you? I I told you I would. But Dad, will will you please? I, I can't stop what I'm doing right now to do it, but I'm going to get it done before the deadline. Now, don't worry about it. And they come back. Dad, would you please, please, please? You know what? They're going to get a response that is not going to be very pleasant. Because you know what they're doing? They're questioning my truthfulness that I told them I would do what I said now, aren't they? When you pray to God every day asking Him to save you over and over and over and over and over again, what you're doing is you're questioning God's integrity. Because this verse says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, what does it say? If you have it memorized, say it with me. And thou shalt be saved. Period. Jesus in John chapter 10 said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. John 3.16 says, Whosoever believeth hath everlasting life. You see, that confession is only one. The word Lord means Master. The word Jesus means Savior. It's a total surrender of who I am to Him. Now, there's an end. You see, I must believe that He died on the cross for my sins and that He rose again for my sins. That's why we put up here on the board, it is finished. You see, that's what you do to get saved. If you have any questions, read the next verse. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to believe here. And by the way, to whom is the confession made? Uh, If you have any questions about that, read verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't confess to me. I'm just another human being. I need to be saved just the same way you do. You confess directly to God. The only one. No others. Lord. He's the one that has the right to tell me the difference between right and wrong. By the way, if he has the right to tell you the difference between right and wrong today, does he have the same right tomorrow? How about a hundred years from now? How about an eternity future? Yes, because He has not changed and will never change. Amen? The name Jesus means salvation is of God. How many people trust in Jesus and? Every time we have a baptism, I'll ask people, do you trust in the water to get you saved? Sometimes I trip people up a little bit with that. But what we're simply trying to do is illustrate the fact that the water has no saving grace. It just gets you wet. That's all it's about. But it's a testimony 
to the unseen work of God when you confessed and asked Him to save you. You see, if you don't understand that your salvation is eternal and it's all about Christ and it's not about you, how can you quit running the race that God has set before you? Hello? If you understand that your life is the life that Jesus has given you, then what right do you have to short-circuit God's plan for your life? You see, when you get saved, you lose the right of despair. Do you get that? You see, this is what the Bible is trying to teach us. When you'll hear me use this phrase many, many times, the death of self. It's all through the Bible. It was pictured in the Old Testament tabernacle every morning as the priest would come in and he would offer a little lamb on that offering, on that altar, the brazen altar before there was that fire was never, ever to go out. Every morning. He would rekindle that fire from the fire that had been started the night before. That fire was continually burning on that brazen altar. And someone said, oh, that's a picture of Jesus' eternal sacrifice for us. No! Jesus' blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. That's where our sins are forgiven. That brazen altar was a daily sacrifice. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. That's the picture. Is the daily death of myself. See, this is one of the reasons I, I... Hate is a very strong word, and I use it very strongly. Why I hate the purpose-driven life and purpose-driven church books. Because they turn this truth inside out. God is not here to make your life better. That's not His purpose. And if you'll get a hold of this, it'll keep you in the race. But God cannot use your life the way it is. He's got to fix it. And your life will find the purpose and everything that you need as you surrender to Christ and stop trying to get the things you think you so desperately need. Every good thing in my life has come because of my service for Christ. Everything I need to serve Him, has been provided by God. Now, there's some things that I might like. But you know what? I don't need them. And so I willingly surrender those things because it's not about me and my comfort. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he has done. Could we say amen to that? You see, you have to understand. This is why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of belonging to, coming from the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Your greatest enemy is yourself. If no one else can trip you up, you will trip yourself up. But 
If you'll get your eyes off of yourself and put them on the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll keep you in that race. Because the race is not about you. It's about Him. You see, if you understand what God gave you with your salvation, that's, that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain to us when he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Everything that our faith is, is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only thing you can do is accept it. Amen? Amen? Jesus does all the work. It's not you that keep yourself in the race. It's Jesus that keeps you in the race. It's not you that accomplishes something good for God. It's the Holy Spirit of God in you that accomplishes something for God. It's understanding what He did when He saved me. It's understanding the death of myself. It's understanding what the church is all about. They sang that song. The church is the place where we love one another. What did Jesus say? And they'll know you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. Someone might say, well, I think your church could use some improvement. I'd be the first one to say amen. But to be the second one, or maybe the first one to say, how about you come down and get right with God so that you can love other people the way you should and there'll be a little more love in the church. Amen? Stop looking for people to do something for you when you're supposed to be doing something for Jesus. You know, I was in a fellowship meeting of preachers a while back and, and, and the preacher said, I, I want you to preach on why we should fellowship together as Baptist preachers. And I'm going, wow, you, you've given me a very difficult subject. And, and uh, he said, no, nah. he said, I don't think it's as tough as you think it is. And I begin to study about the church. Now, what's the church? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. When Jesus uses men to explain the church, what is the picture that is always there? What is the physical representation? The human body. you got lots of pieces in your body. Does your body always do what you want it to? How many of you guys remember high school? You could sing a beautiful soprano there for a while. All of a sudden it went, oh, the voice stopped working the way it was supposed to. How many of you have ever tried to appear sophisticated and in control and your body didn't cooperate? You tripped over the steps, you spilled the cup of tea, you made yourself the center of attention. And it wasn't very nice attention that was coming your way. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Esther, you're doing that right now. Let's slow down. That's my daughter. Listen. Church is not perfect. Church is not for perfect people. But this church is for people who want to serve Jesus Christ. Because the only place you can do that is in His church. Can we say amen to that? You read your Bible. God never designed what I like to call the Lone Ranger Christian. He never designed someone to just come in and solve everybody's problems and 
be that super righteous, always having a plan, always aware of everything, making sure the script writers keep somebody from shooting you in the back, because that's the only way it happens in the real world, amen? Uh, and, and you ride out of town having solved everybody's problems. Well, that's not life. Life is every day. Life is waking up in the same house with the same wife, with the same husband, with the same kids. And still serving God. That's what running the race is all about. It's about being in the same church 20 years from now. Things will be different 20 years from now. But the church shouldn't be different. And if you're alive, you should be here. Serving the Lord. Amen? You see, understanding what church is, is going to keep me in the race, isn't it? Because I'm part of something bigger than me. I have responsibilities to the people that come Sunday morning. And by the way, when you come, you have responsibilities to listen and to follow the Word of God. And together, God has done some extraordinary things here. And we're hoping and praying He's going to continue doing those extraordinary things. But you know what? We've got to have everybody walking with us. And we don't walk in lockstep here because pastor's hooked up to your computer and he can watch you through your computer. I, I don't do that. If I'm serving God and you're serving God, guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to be walking together. That goes back to that sermon I preached on fellowship. I said, you know something, preacher? If your church is serving the Lord and my church is serving the Lord and we're trying to serve the Lord, we're going to find ourselves working together. If you were here for Sunday school, I use Heartland to illustrate, Heartland Baptist Bible College to illustrate that. As my, our church serves the Lord, we work together with hundreds of other churches all across this country just for the cause of one Bible college. That doesn't count all the other hundreds and hundreds of churches that we are cooperating with to send missionaries to the foreign field. That doesn't count the churches, uh, and many of them overlap, that are helping Brother Newberger start the new church in Greenpoint, and in turn helping us renovate the old building there to save the uh, not only the property, but the history of the Union Baptist Church in and and to eventually put Brother Newberger and his little church in that building and to keep it going so that that light does not go out. It's very feeble right now. And it's going to be a lot of suffering between now and the time that we're actually holding services in that building. But I'll tell you what, your faithfulness here is going to make a difference in what goes on over there. It'll keep you in the race. How many of you love that last song we sang this morning? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Now, Andrew didn't see my outline when he picked the songs. But that's the last point in my outline this morning. See, you need to understand that there's going to come a time when we all have to stand before God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment. This last point I call understanding the terror of the Lord. You need to understand the salvation of the Lord. You need to understand the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand the terror of the Lord.
I'm sorry, it's first, uh, wait a minute, what did I do? Oh, I'm in chapter 10, not chapter 5. There we go. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That is going to be a very terrible day to those that stand before God at what the Bible calls the great white throne. Because those that are brought before the great white throne are those that have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's those that have lived their life here without ever making that confession. The Lord Jesus, without ever believing in their heart that God hath raised him from the dead. That is the judgment of the unsaved. And everyone, without exception, will receive the same penalty. An eternity in hell and later the lake of fire. Someone said, So everybody gets punished the same for the sins? No, you read the Bible. But let me ask you a question. If you get into hell by the skin of your teeth, is that going to make it any better for you? You say, preacher, you worded that wrong. You're supposed to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. No, no, I, I want you to... If you miss heaven and you just slip into hell by the skin of your teeth, the least little problem... Is that going to be satisfactory to you? I would hope not. Well, it won't be as bad for me as it will be for Adolf Hitler. Duh! What does that prove? I don't want to go to hell. Because the greatest punishment of hell is separation from the love of God. That's the greatest punishment. And by the way, if you're truly saved, we're talking about running this race. If you have the attitude, well, I just want to get the minimum acceptable level to get into heaven. I want to get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Uh, you, you better be careful. The Bible warns about that kind of attitude. That's not the attitude of someone who has surrendered their life to the Lord, who is trusting in Jesus as the Savior, because you see, God doesn't get anybody into heaven by the skin of their teeth. They all get in through the blood of His cross. And that is sufficient by far. For any soul to get to heaven. But look at the rest of this verse. It says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. Now here's what Paul's saying. He said, I know the terror of the Lord. And I'm trying to tell people there is a hell to be shunned. There is a heaven to be gained. There is forgiveness for your sins in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And there is eternal suffering for your sins if you refuse the payment that Jesus has made. He says, but, but, we are made manifest unto God. God sees what's in my heart. He knows every thought and every imagination in your heart. He knows every idle word you said. And even the ones you thought, but you didn't have enough courage or stupidity as the case may be, to utter them out loud and share that with everybody around you. But God still heard them. And He still recorded them. 
He said, but we're manifest. God knows what's going on in your life and in your heart. He knows whether you're trying out this thing called Christianity or whether you have a true and living faith in the living God. He says, we're manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Paul says, listen, God knows who I am and what's going on in my life because he saved me. And he says, and I trust that the life that I'm living is plain enough that you can see that Christ has saved me. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, yes, there is a hell. But yes, I need to live a life that will help other people understand that Jesus still saves. Can we say amen to that? You see, we go back to our main text. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are trying to stay in that race. Uh, someone says, well, I'd rather wear out than burn out. Well, I want you to know something. It doesn't matter how you get out, you're still out. I want to finish the race. I don't want to get there halfway. I don't want someone carrying me over the finish line. You know why? Because in faith, it's got to be your faith that carries you over the finish line, not somebody else's. It's not going to work. You've got to cross that line on your relationship with God. You see, if I understand my salvation, I can't quit the race because the life that I now have doesn't belong to me. It was a gift from Jesus. And no more do I have a right to take my own life and short-circuit the physical life that God gave me. I cannot short-circuit the new birth that God gave me. I need to live it. I need to understand about the church. That's the context for my Christianity. It's a place where I can be encouraged by others and I can encourage others to serve Christ. The church is the body of Christ. God has to fix you to make you a part of it. And He won't be done fixing you until He takes you home. I like that song we sing in children in Sunday school. He's still working on me. I'll tell you what, I'm glad that God is patient. How about you? But church is the place where you get worked on. It's understanding the terror of the Lord. He knows what's going on in my life. He wants to use me in His service. You know what? That means enduring hardness sometimes. That means suffering sometimes. That means when we feel the drag of the world around us and everything that's going on. I just got to get my eyes off the world and get them back on Jesus where they belong. See, that's what will keep you in that race. Now, 50 years from now, God gives you life. I really don't plan on being around at 102, but uh, if the Lord so chooses, I pray that I'll still be doing what I'm doing today. Sometimes we'll meet someone who hasn't been around a long time, or even at a fellowship meeting, uh, we'll say, you still in New York City? Oh, yeah. We're just doing the same things we've done all these years. By God's grace, we're going to keep doing them. We've got a good start. Well, how long have you been there? Well, um, see, October will make 24 years. 
It's a good start. Amen? Because eternity is forever. We, we need to finish that race. But you've got to understand the salvation that God gave you. If you don't have God's salvation, I challenge you, you can get it today. It's that simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That does mean unbelieve everything else. Amen? You need to understand about the church. It's important. Church doesn't give you salvation. The church can't take it away. But let me tell you, everything else about your relationship with God is connected to the church. It's important. It's the body. And you need to understand the terror of the Lord. There is no person going to escape the judgment of God that did not allow Jesus to take it for him or her on the cross. It's an individual thing. Nobody can do it for you. And when we understand that, every life problem now becomes an opportunity to enjoy God's grace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand what kind of salvation you've given us. Lord, that the church is not about us, it's about you. And Lord, that one day we're going to stand before you. You know everything about us, yet you still love us. And Lord, I pray that each one here would take up that challenge to live a life that would not only be manifest in the sight of God, but in the sight of all these witnesses about us in this world in which we live. That they, whether they agree or disagree with us, whether they love or hate what we stand for and what we believe, they would have to say, They're just doing the same old thing. They don't change. They're not moving. Lord, we ask that your spirit and your grace would have freedom during the time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes and leads.